All right, good morning, everybody. Uh, first test, machine. are we good on the volume? Is this okay? Good? Okay, all right, I'll try not to, I'll try not to yell too much. Um, good morning, uh, my name is David. For those of you who haven't met me, um, I share some of the teaching responsibility here under the leadership of Pastor Peter. Um, I just want to say uh, I, I'm so glad to be back in the building doing this together. I, I don't know how many of you got to see the series we did over the summer, but... Um, It is just not the same to be imagining you all somewhere through the camera on the other end of the wires watching this as as in the room with all of you gathering together as the the body of Christ. Um, I don't think it was an accident that God, through the writer of the Hebrews, inspired them to tell us to gather together, Um, not to neglect to gather together, because it's just not the same. Um, to watch the ghost of a person talking on a screen as it is to be here embodied, gathered together as the body of Christ, um, to, to learn and to celebrate what we believe in God. So I'm very excited to be back teaching in the building. Uh, today we're going to be transitioning to a new phase in our study on the love of God. Um, if you remember, I'm sure you can't have forgotten, um, that we have gone through Uh, God's love seen through the different attributes of God, and Peter's challenged us to see the love of God as defined by all of his attributes. Um, That that God's love is not just whatever concept you picked up from love from the the latest Christian book or movie you watched, but God's love is defined by himself. It comes out of himself. God's love is defined by his omnipotence. God's love is defined by his omniscience, that he knew everything about you and loved you anyway. And then recently, the last series, Peter's been teaching us about the intra-Trinitarian love of God, which, which is essential to the definition of God's love. That God is love within himself, within the members of the Trinity, and from that, the definition of love flows to everything else. Love is what it is because God is Trinity. And today, we are going to look at God's extra-Trinitarian love. So what, what does it mean for God's love that he has within the Trinity to go outside of the Trinity? What does it mean for God to love us? And what does it mean for God's love to be in us? And, and what I hope to see is, hope to show you is that those two things are really not different. For God to love us and for us to become loving are really two sides of the same coin. That, that the outward flowingness of God's love comes in us and through us, and, and that's just the two sides of the same motion. Those, those aren't separate things. And because that's the nature of what God's Trinitarian love looks like when it sets itself on others. This is why it's so important for us that God's love is Trinitarian. It would not be the same if God's love was defined by just a single person God, right? If God was only one, he was one being, one person, love itself would be a fundamentally different thing. You could go on this thought experiment with me. If God was only one, then the ultimate good, the ultimate thing that was lovely, all of love would flow towards fundamentally the one. Because it would be wrong for anything else to be loved or to be lovelier than the one supreme being. 
And actually, this is sort of what you find when you look at the Muslim concept of Allah. That love fundamentally flows towards the one. Michael Reeves makes this point in his book, Delighting in the Trinity, which I highly recommend if anyone has not read. It's a very accessible book that helps you. If you have a question on why do we spend so much time talking about the Trinity, that's really confusing. Um, It is confusing, but it's essential. Um, And Michael Reeves' book does a great job of helping you see not only why it is essential, but why it's great. Um, So I recommend that book. But, But he's quoting that... Uh, one of the a Muslim theologian in that book, and how a single person God defines love, and this is what um, Abu Hamid Al Ghazi, no idea who that really is, um, how he talks about God's love. He says God does indeed love people, but in reality He loves nothing other than Himself, in the sense that He is the totality of being, and there is no nothing in being apart from him. If that sounds like a fairly different definition of love than what you're used to, it's because it is. That's a different flow of love. Love, things are lovely to the extent that they are the one, that they reflect the one. Love fundamentally flows uphill to the greatest supreme being. To be other is fundamentally a negative thing. If God we're not Trinity. But because God is Trinity, there is other within himself. And the way the love flows within the Godhead, the ultimate being, the most lovely thing in all of the world is fundamentally to flow to other. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. The Spirit delights in the love between the Father and the Son, and love is fundamentally outward flowing. And when that love comes to rest upon us, it's essential that it is outward flowing, that love is toward the other. Because that's how God has loved us. Love has poured out from the Trinity to us, to the other and brings us into the love without insisting that we be the one. We are brought into the white, hot love that is within the Trinity. And this is what Peter began to show us last week when he read John 17, 26. This is what Jesus was praying for. He says that the love with which you have loved me, that the Father has loved the Son, love flowing from one to another, the love which you have loved me, may be in them. And so now we're going to see what does it look like for the other-focused love within the Trinity to flow to us. One of the ways that uh, the Bible talks about us being brought into the love of God is with the picture of family. Right? And so if you see the way that the Bible talks about God relating to us and each of the members relating to us, you get this family language. So Romans 8, 15 and 16 says, You have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You've got two members of the Trinity there showing how we are brought into the Godhead. That we are now sons and daughters of God. 
that God loves us as you've understood and seen a father loves his children. And that when the love of God flows to the Spirit, you see now that Spirit is dwelling in us. So when God loves the Spirit, his love is directed now towards us, the dwelling place of the Spirit. You get another picture in Ephesians 5. Take this all together. This is verse 25, then 31 and 32. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Here you see again, we are brought into the love of God as a marriage relationship. We are now the bride of Christ. Do you see this? That we are brought into the love within the Trinity. We are now one of the others that God has set his love upon. We are the children of the Father. We are the bride of the Son. We are the dwelling place of the Spirit. And the love that we saw within the Trinity, we are now brought into that love. But when we are brought into the family of God, we don't just receive the benefits of God's love. As we'll see, God expects that we will begin to take on the characteristics of the family that we have been brought into. Now, you might think of of characteristic traits that you have because of the family that you either born into or or married into or brought into. Right, My my wife has a a concept where she, she talks about what it means to batten something. Um, it's my last name, David Batten. And, and battening something um, really is probably more defined by my dad and, and, and by my granddad before him. It, it roughly means to kind of f- fix something with whatever you have on hand. Uh, right? And I can remember times where we were on the, on the boat and the motor breaks down. This happened more than one time. Um, I've been just totally confident that my dad was going to figure out how to fix it to get it back to the dock. He was going to figure out what was wrong or find something and get it to work just enough to get us back and we were going to be okay. Um, uh, another picture, I asked my wife, where do you see this, this, w- that battening? Where did you get that idea? And, and the picture she had to come, that came to her mind was, um, there's a light fixture in my parents' dining room. And my dad took the light and moved it about three feet over to be over the new dining table. But instead of getting, going to Home Depot and buying the cover you're supposed to get to cover that old hole, he just took the lid of an old Christmas cookie tin with like the blue outline and the snowflakes and some sort of reindeer picture in the middle. Stuck that on there with the pull chain through it so you could turn the light on. And that was up there for years. <laughs> that would be battening the light fixture. <laughs> um, and so... But my wife has begun to take on some of these characteristics. She's really proud of herself when she battens something. Um, when, when she figures out how to break into our house because she locked herself out with a laminated piece of paper. Or um, that the sink is leaking and she doesn't know how to fix it, but she can tell if she pushes on this, it stops. And so she just leaves a pot sitting on it all night until I get home. And tell her, you know there's knobs under here you can turn off. But... Um, So she has begun to take on the characteristics of our family. She's learning to batten things. And that's a a silly, I guess, picture of what it's supposed to look like for us to come into the family of God. 
we not only receive love, we are supposed to become loving. Which show that we truly are brought into the love that's in the Trinity. We're going to take on the characteristics of that love as we go to live and to relate to others in our own life. We're going to be reading through 1 John 4 this morning, and, and he's really picking up on this same idea that because we are in the love of God, we should love others. And 1 John 4 is where you get the famous passage that God is love. But did you know the reason that John makes that statement in the first place is to tell the believers, tell the church that they should love others. That's the reason he tells them that God is love in the first place. 1 John is written to a context where, where it seems there's some sort of conflict that's happened in the church there probably some sort of church split over doctrinal issues, gospel, central, important issues. But unlike church splits today, this isn't a big community, right? These people are still neighbors, right? They're still seeing one another in the market. And it's a difficult situation to continue relating to these people. There's, There's hurt, there's confusion, and you can hear this in the way John is writing to the believers there, trying to give them some clarity on what's going on, what's true, how to orient themselves. And this is one of the things that he encourages them with. To those who have believed truly, who have held fast to the gospel, who truly know God, he says, those of you who know God should be loving. In the situation in which you're dealing with, if you really know this God, if you know the God who is love, you will love. That's clarifying for not just an abstract theological idea. That's a real life issue. You're going to go live in this messy situation and what's clarifying for you is if you know God, you will love. I'm going to read through this whole passage and then kind of come back through smaller chunks. This is 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Just, just hear this whole thing as we're going to go through it. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. You hear this idea. We love because God is love. Reading 1 John, a little aside on this, it's a little bit of a difficult book to read. When I started to feel the Spirit leading me to this, I was like, okay, here we go. Um, 1 John is not the linear book that that we're kind of used to reading in Paul, where he's kind of point to point, following, you can follow along the logic. John is a little bit more of a poet. He's a little bit more laying ideas kind of next to one another. He's giving these grand visions so that we would see clear pictures that help us to live. But it's a little bit different and and sometimes 
more difficult to read, and I'm a little bit aware that I'm right now, I'm an accountant up here trying to explain poetry. Um, so bear with me as we walk through this, but I think the picture of what he's trying to get us to see here, it's not only going to tell us what the answer is on what we're supposed to do and how we relate to God, it's trying to help us help motivate us, to capture our imaginations with an idea that is going to help us as we go to love in the messy situations of life. So, verse 7 and 8. Read these again. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. These are sort of the famous, stark, dualistic, speaking that John does. He gives very clear black and white pictures. He loves grand imagery, right? This is the same man who wrote, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, right? This is the way John talks. And what he's trying to do here is to give us two clear options. On the one side is God and love, right? You know God, God is love, those who know God love. That's one option. On the other side is none of those things. If you don't love, you don't know God. And there is no middle ground in this picture. <laughs> love and God, no love and no God. Now, John is pretty prone to asking sort of, but what about questions? Right? Can you, can you imagine the but what about question here? But what about last week when I related to my family in this not-so-loving way? What about this person who says they know God but has trouble loving, right? Which side are they on, John? Are they on the love and God side or are they on the not-love? Because it seems kind of like they know God but they don't love. Or they love but they don't know God. But is there middle ground here? Well, I think when you're reading John particularly, it's helpful to to not hear what he's not saying. Right? He makes these big, bold, black and white pictures, but he knows there's mess in life too. All right, let me give you another example of this. Let's go back to 1 John 1. And I'm, you're going to see this. 1 John 1, 6. Here's another clear black and white picture. He says, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice truth. Right? You see the clear pictures. There's light there's darkness, there's God, and there's not God, no middle ground. Go two verses later. Verse 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, that sounds confusing, (laughs) right? I thought it was... You know God, and you're in the light, or you're in the darkness, and you don't. How can I sin, and then God be ready to forgive? In which side am I on then? I think what John is doing here is he's giving you clear pictures that are helpful. When you go live, they're true, right? When I am tempted by that recurring sin to go back into that useless pursuit, you know what's helpful in that moment? There's only light and God and darkness, And that's true. There's no middle ground. When I go to make that decision, what am I going to be? That's not, let's be clear here. There's only God and light and not God and not light. 
and then one hour later when I choose not light, then I need verse 8. Then I need to know if I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. When I go to relate to other people who have messed up, it's helpful to hear, if you say you have no sin, you're lying. You know you have sin. John knows life is more complicated than the black and white pictures that he gives us. He's not talking about predestination and your eternal salvation and how you need to think about these things. He's giving you clear pictures that are helpful when you go to live. Go back to 1 John 4. There's only love and God and no love and no God. Isn't that helpful? When you go to relate to someone, when you go to relate to the messy situation that was going on in John's day, when you go to relate to someone who disagrees with you fundamentally about politics or parenting or whatever it is, there's only love and God and no love and no God. Who will you be as you relate to those people? John is not talking about another criteria for salvation than whether you believe in Jesus Christ. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying the criteria to know if you're saved is if you always love all the time. There are people who think that. There are people who think that the only way you can be saved is if you never sin. And I think they either must have a different definition of sin or have never dealt with a whiny child. I don't know which one it is. (laughs) But John knows life is complicated. But he's giving us pictures that are helpful as we go to live. And then he goes on to tell us why love, why he's hammering this idea of love. Because love is the center of what this whole thing has been all about. Verse 9 and 10. And this, the love of God, was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is love. The center of everything that we're doing. The reason we're here today is because God manifested his love to us. It's not just one idea among many. It's not just one more thing we're supposed to be doing. It's the center. It's what God's been doing in all of creation. If this was, if love was not driving the story, do you know how long the Bible is? It's three chapters. We get to the sin, we get to fall, and one second later, the story is over. The reason the story continues is because what God is doing is leading us to the manifestation of His love in Jesus. That's what our story is about. That's what everything we're doing. That's what, the, that's what they're holding to in this controversy that John's talking to. They're holding to the story of God's manifestation of his love. What does that mean, to manifest love? Think about that. What, is, what has been done in Christ? I'll give you another illustration. What, think, think of electricity. What, what is Electricity. Can, can, you, can anyone explain, like, what is, just abstractly, electricity is, it's, it's, it's really kind of a, an inaccessible concept to me, right? I work for an electric company. I don't really know what electricity is. I know sort of conceptually. 
If you're going to explain to me electricity, this is what you're probably going to do. You're probably going to point to something that uses electricity and tell me that it's the thing that makes the lights turn on. It's what's in the lightning. It's why we're not cold in this room this morning because the heater is working through electricity. What you're going to point to is the manifestation of electricity. I know what electricity is because I see the light bulb is on. And now I kind of get it. That's what Jesus is to the love of God. Without Jesus, the love of God would be an abstract, inaccessible concept to us. Just like I really wouldn't have any idea that electricity even exists if I didn't see it somewhere. I've seen it in Jesus. This is how we know what love is. And without Jesus, we wouldn't know. Anytime we think of love, we should think of what Jesus has done for us. This is how it's been defined. The self-sacrificing, lowering of himself. Philippians 2, we read last week how he gave up He was in the form of God, but counted that not something to be grasped, but he gave that up, taking on the form of a servant. This is love. This is what the definition of love is. And we're going to think more in the coming weeks about all of the distinctives of that kind of love as as we live and as we see it in Christ. But let's remember that this is the center of our story. When we think of that picture, Love and God. No love, no God. On this side is the point of all of, not just the Bible, but all of history. This is what God has been doing. This is what his heart is. This is what he's been manifesting. Our question is not only will you be on the side of love and God, but will you be on the side of what everything in all of history is about, or are you going to go do something on your own? And it's important that we recognize that when we go to love, that we have this picture before us as we go to love as God has loved us. Verse 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Right, this is the logical conclusion of what Paul John has been driving to. Right, He's giving you all of this statement to say that if God has loved us, we should love one another. If we're going to be on the side of God and love, we should be loving. Right? Because John sort of speaks in cycles. You can see this again just in a few more verses. 1 John four nineteen, he says, We love because He first loved us. We love because Jesus came. I recognize there's a, there's a flow to that. Love isn't just something that we muster up within ourselves. Sometimes we read the Bible to figure out how we're supposed to live, but, but it's important to see why we're supposed to live. We love not just because it's the right thing, but because we've been loved. We give away only what we've already received. But notice, when we give away what we've received, we actually are abiding in God in that moment. Notice what he says in verse 12. It, it almost seems like a little head-scratcher when you start to read it. Why does he go from, if God's loved us, we should love one another, to no one has ever seen God? What, what is he getting at there? Well, I think if you're thinking about, I want to be on the side of God's love. I want to be loving as God has loved. How am I going to do that? 
Are you going to love God the way he's loved you? Sure, we're going to love God. Yes, there's a, there's a piece to that where we love God by obeying his commands. First John 5, 2. We'll say that exactly just in a few more verses. But, but are we going to love God in the self-sacrificing, giving up of my rights, considering the other? Am I going to love God that way? No. I can't even see God. Right? I, I can't relate to God directly the way he's related to me. And if the love he's given me is going to be given out, where is it going to be given out? If we love one another. That's what John's saying here. If you are going to love like God has loved, if you are going to be plugged into the love of God, you're going to do that to other people that you're relating to. That's what you've seen in Christ. That's how love has been manifested to you. That's what you go do to other people. And when you do that, God abides in us. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. How do you imagine it's going to feel when you go to love other people? Are you just giving away everything you've received? I think this is the way that, that we can think about it sometimes. We, we have our, our bucket and we go to God and we get filled up on love and then we go over here and we pour out and then we've got to go back to God and we get love and then we go over here and we pour it out. Right? And there's something to your experience of that, right? Like, there's times where you feel more you're receiving from God and there's times where you feel more like you're being poured out into other people's lives. But that's not the picture John is giving us here. He says, when you love others, then you abide in me. Those aren't two separate actions. When we choose to love the way God has loved us, we are abiding in in God. And it's not so much like we're pouring out our buckets as as we are screwing in a light bulb. And when you screw in the light bulb to God's love, it gives out love, but it's showing you that it's connected to the source. That when we choose to love other people, that is when we are abiding in the God who is love. That is when we are being part of what this whole story has been about. I was talking to Miss Anna about this teaching last week, telling her I was doing this, and one of the encouragements she gave me was to, to tell them what you need to hear. This was what I needed to hear. Because I think when I go to love, the choice to me feels like me or them. I'm going to choose what's going to make me happy, or I'm going to choose what's going to make them happy. Right? And you don't know what I'm talking about. Right? This, is, this is a real question you have a lot of times. Am I going to love and do what they want? Or is this a moment where I need to just do what I need to do? But my experience is when I do what I need to do, when I, when I think about it that way, I often find choosing what I wanted gives me what I wanted, but also leaves me sort of empty. And when I choose to do what they wanted... I might end up tired. <laughs> I have three little kids, so that's often um, my reality. But I'm not empty. Not empty the same way as when I just choose me. Why is that? Because I framed the question wrong. It's not me or them. It's God and love. Or no God and no love. And when I choose love, I'm plugged in to the God who is love. 
When I choose to love others the way I have been loved, I am receiving, I am abiding in the love of God. I'm participating in the story I was created to be a part of. I framed the question wrong. And what John is helping us to do is see these two clear pictures. These are the only choices as you go to relate to people. Will you abide in the God who is love or will you not? That's it. There's no other options. There's no middle ground. That's what it is to love. That's the reality in which we live. That's what it is to experience and to be part of the outward focused love of the Trinitarian God. And next week, we're going to consider more of what it looks like, what the distinctives of that love are as we go to plug in to the love of God and shine it out to those around us. I'll see you next week.